Thank you, Sarah, for your ministry in song and preparing our hearts to uh, hear the teaching of God's Word. Pastor's message will be taken this morning from Matthew chapter 13, verses 46, pardon me, 44 through 46. A very short passage, but just a very insightful portion of God's Word. Would you turn in your Bibles? There are Bibles under your pew. Follow as I read Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. May God bless the teaching of his word this morning. In the last... Excuse me. In the last couple of weeks, we have been focusing our attention on parables that deal with both the visible and the invisible kingdom, or the visible and invisible church. We now have parables that were given just to the disciples. If you'll notice with me in Matthew chapter 13, verse 36, it says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And then after he explains that parable, he then gives these parables to his disciples. So these parables are unique in that they are directly focused upon the disciples. So they have something unique to teach the disciples of Jesus Christ, and then thus something unique to teach us. Again, in these two twin or sister parables, we have both similarities and differences, as we saw in the other twin parables. First, the similarities. The similarities center upon the surpassing value of being a part of the kingdom. In both parables, it is worth giving up everything one has in order to be a possessor or to partake in the kingdom. There's the parable of the field. And notice at the very end of verse 44, it says, He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In the parable of the great price, notice at the end of verse 46. He went and sold all that he had and bought it. The dissimilarities or the differences in the two parables centers upon the discovery of the worth of the kingdom. In the parable of the field, the treasure is stumbled upon accidentally. Notice verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. 
In the parable of the pearl of great price, the treasure is sought after. Notice verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Once again, it is the dissimilarities in the parables that give us the key to their understanding. The parable of the treasure in the field is a parable concerning the value of the invisible kingdom. Notice verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Like the parable of the leaven which was hidden in the flower. Matthew 13, 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like heaven the woman took and hid in three measures of flour. So it was unseen. It is invisible. You wouldn't have noticed this treasure in the field. It is hidden. It is invisible. We're talking about the invisible kingdom of God. We're talking about the true believers. The parable of the pearl of great price is a parable concerning the visible kingdom, like the parable of the mustard seed. I will say more about that in a few moments. So this morning, the theme is the matchless value of being part of the kingdom of God. We begin with first the matchless value of being part of the invisible kingdom, and then we're going to talk about the matchless value of being part of the visible kingdom of God. So first, the matchless value of being a part of the invisible kingdom of God. No one knows the value of being a part of the invisible kingdom except those to whom it is revealed. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. It was common in the New Testament era in which there were no banks or investment vehicles to simply bury one's valuables or money on one's property. It kind of takes us back to the Depression era. Uh, Many of you can remember or at least have been taught about the run that occurred on banks. And banks proved to be a very unsafe place to keep your monies. And so people were withdrawing their money from banks and unwilling to deposit their money in banks. And instead, they would hide their money in the mattress or under the floorboards in their house. It became quite uh, popular to have wall safes hidden behind a picture or literally go out and bury your money in a tin can in the backyard. If the person died, no one would know that that money was there. It was hidden. And then imagine the surprise of someone going through that house and doing some renovations and all of a sudden they find money under the floorboards. Or 
They look at this old lumpy mattress and they look at it more carefully and they find that it is stuffed and filled with money. Wow. What a nice discovery that would be. That's our parable. Here is a man going through a field and he discovers that there is hidden in this field a treasure. So what is his response? Well, verse 44, he's overjoyed. He's happy. Who wouldn't be? Find a treasure hidden in the field. So what does he do? He sells all that he has and goes, buys that field that has the treasure in it. Notice the end of verse 44. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Of course he does. It only makes good sense. The curious element of the parable is the hiding of the treasure once it is found. For notice it says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and rehides. And from joy he goes and buys the field. Commentators love to wax eloquent about everything in a text. And one of the issues is the role that hiding the treasure has in this particular parable. So let me tell you, first of all, the role that it does not have, and then I'll tell you the role it does have. The role it does not have. This is not a parable about ethics. It's not teaching us about what is ethically moral or right. Was it morally right of this man to have found a treasure, hide it, keep it from the owner, and then go and buy the property? That's not what this parable is about. It's not a parable that teaches us that we, in some sense, ought to hide the treasure that's in the kingdom. Don't tell anybody about the kingdom once you have discovered it. It's not that either, okay? It's a simple parable. And the message is much simpler than that. The role of hiding the treasure once found in the parable is simply to serve to explain why the field is valuable to this man and not others. Why... Does this man sell everything that he has to buy the field? Answer, because he knows what's in it. He knows there's a treasure there. And so he goes and sells everything because he's going to be far richer, far better off, because he knows there's a treasure in that field. Everybody else wonders Why would this man sell everything he has to buy this field? They're scratching their head because they don't know that there's a treasure in this field. It is not valuable to them. Everyone else would have thought that the man paid too much but he gladly plays everything that he has for the field, for he knows the field is worth it. 
He got a good deal because of the treasure in it. The point of the parable is that it is worth anything that it might cost someone to be a part of the true kingdom of God. The worth is matchless. But don't be surprised when everybody else thinks you're foolish in investing so deeply into the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 19, we have these words by Peter. Matthew chapter 19, you can turn it with me if you want, or you can just listen. Starting with verse 27. I hear a lot of people turning, so I'll wait till you get there. Matthew 19, 27. Matthew 19, 27. Remember, these parables are for the disciples' sake. They're given to them. Matthew 19, 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? Okay. We literally have given up everything. They had. They'd given up their business. They were fishermen. They quit fishing. They gave up their houses. They were following Jesus everywhere they went. They had no money. They had no place to stay. They had literally given up everything to follow Jesus. So what should we have? Verse 28, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. For you will have eternal life. Why is it worth being a part of the true kingdom of God? Turn with me to one more passage. Colossians chapter 2. Please turn there because I want you to see this in the text. Colossians 2. Colossians 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches in full assurance of understanding and knowing the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ. Now, notice these very important words. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Same word 
that's in our text. Hidden. Hidden. In Christ has all the wisdom and knowledge. All the blessings of everything you'd want to know and understand are found in Christ, but they are hidden. You see, the world doesn't see the value of Scripture, doesn't see the value of placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, don't understand why we would trust him, why we would delight in him as our Lord and as our Savior. They are hidden from the world, but for us who know Jesus Christ, you see, they are well worth it. Only the one who professes, possesses the treasure understands the worth of the field or the kingdom. No one else would understand why a person would pay so much or so dearly. Why? Not because it is not worth it, but because it is hidden. Now, I hope you're still in Colossians. I want you to see verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul writes this so that they won't be dissuaded in their allegiance to Christ. Don't let anyone jeer you. Don't let anyone mislead you. Don't let anyone talk you out of your commitment to Jesus Christ because they don't get it. Because they don't get it. It makes no sense to them. But you remember the hidden treasure. You remember what you see that they don't see. You remember that Jesus Christ is worth our ties, worth our offerings, worth giving up our Sunday mornings to come here and worship. You see, there would be many that would wonder, why in the world are you giving a tenth of your income There are so many other things that you could use that money for. Down payment on a house. You can buy a car. Why in the world, week after week, are you setting aside 10%? Why do you come every Sunday to hear the word of God? Because there's a treasure. There's a value. There's a worth that we have discovered that we stumbled across, but by the grace of God has opened our hearts and minds to understand and see that there's a treasure here. And so we gladly accept it and buy that field. Then there is the parable of the matchless value of the visible kingdom. In this parable... A man is seeking to buy pearls, Matthew 13, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. It's important to realize that this man is a merchant, which is a buyer and seller. That's what he does. He goes around 
and he buys and sells things. Well, his specialty is pearls. He's got a pearl shop. And so he's always on the lookout for good pearls. So here's this merchant man, and he's out. He's on a hunt trying to buy up those good pearls. And after looking hard and hearing about this special pearl, goes to check it out. And so here is this man in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one, after searching diligently, finds a pearl like he's never seen before. He's found the mother pearl. He's found the pearl of all pearls. So what's this merchant going to do? Who's been, all his life, been looking for pearls when he discovers the most valuable pearl there is. Well, he went and sold all he had and bought it. All those other pearls, he cashed out in order to be able to buy this one pearl. Forsook all the other pearls to buy this one pearl. Makes sense. That's what we would do if we found a pearl of great price having many lesser pearls. So what are we to do with this? Well, it's a parable about the visible kingdom. The scribes and the Pharisees are religious leaders. They are the merchants, if you will. Their business is all about religious beliefs and practices in seeking eternal life. They have devoted themselves to the scriptures. They have devoted themselves to religious observances. They have devoted themselves to prayer, to worship, to understanding spiritual truth. Now, a pearl of great price is set before them. That is, the kingdom which Jesus is offering to them. The opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet and to be instructed by him. It is worth giving up on all their personal righteousness, standing, belief system, in order to place their faith in Christ and become part of the kingdom. The lesser pearls, or all the things that they had believed, all the good works that they had done, all the religious ceremonies that they had observed, it's worth giving all that up in order to get this one great pearl of great price. However, the Pharisees do not purchase the kingdom, for they do not want to give up their personal righteousness or belief system. But that should not dissuade the disciples. The disciples have not been foolish in giving up 
all of the teaching, all of the righteousness, all of the instruction and the habits of the Pharisees. They were wise to sell all that in order to be able to purchase the kingdom of God, which is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples gladly forsake all personal righteousness and observances of holiness in order to receive the righteousness and the holiness that comes through Jesus Christ. Let me give you a practical example of this. Last place you're going to have to turn this morning. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. This is the testimony of the Apostle Paul that teaches us that it is well worth selling everything in order to purchase this kingdom of great price. Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So Paul says, you know, I don't get tired of writing the same thing. I don't get tired of speaking on the same subject. I don't get tired of reminding you of this because it's so important. And it's good for you to be reminded. So what does he say? Look out for the dogs. Strong language. Look out for evildoers. Even stronger language. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What a way to describe circumcision. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul says, look out for those people. Look out for those scribes. Look out for those Pharisees. Look out for those people that tell you you need to be circumcised. Look out. Don't question your allegiance and your commitment to Jesus Christ. Don't go back. Sell all those lesser lesser pearls. Now verse 4, Paul's personal testimony. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul talks about now, in essence, everything that he sold in order to obtain Christ. Here are the lesser pearls. Philippians 3, verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day. So Paul says, these guys that talk about being circumcised, I was circumcised. And not only was I circumcised, but I was circumcised at the right time. You're supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day. That's when I was circumcised. I did it all right. Been there, done that, circumcised. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I am a descendant. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, meaning that he was not one of these Hellenistic Hebrews. A Hellenistic Hebrew was a Greek-speaking Hebrew. 
A lot of the Jewish people by New Testament era could no longer speak Hebrew because they were dominated by the Roman Empire. And so they were Greek-speaking, Latin-speaking, no longer Hebrew-speaking. That's why we have the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. That's what most of the Jewish people were reading at that time. They were reading the Septuagint, a Greek translation. They couldn't read Greek, uh, Hebrew anymore. Paul says, I'm a Jew. I was born a Jew. I was raised a Jew. I speak Hebrew. As to the law, a Pharisee. I was one of those. I studied the law. I did everything that it said. Notice the next. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. How committed was I? As committed as it can be. I persecuted the church. I stood by and condemned Stephen. I went out and was traveling hither and yon in order to put people into prison. I was dedicated to this belief. As to the righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. In everything that I was instructed in to do, I did. I was sincere. I was devout. I was loyal. I was religious. I was committed. I was sold out. Now verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever that profited me, Paul says, I counted as worthless. Whatever goodness that that brought to my life, I said is meaningless. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Interesting word. Surpassing worth. Greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I like the translation of the King James, dung, because it is the word for manure. I won't use the more vulgar term. But in comparison with knowing Christ, this stuff is manure. Who wouldn't give up manure in order to gain Christ? Verse 9, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So that I might have eternal life, that I be raised again. Paul says, 
I turn my back on all of that in order to gain eternal life. I turn my back on all these religious practices in order to identify with Jesus Christ. We're talking about the visible kingdom. I quit being a Pharisee. I quit being accepted by my kinsmen, my people. I quit persecuting the church. I did a 180 degree turn in order to follow Jesus Christ. You see, the application here is there are two different groups of people out there. There are one group of people who aren't religious, who aren't interested in the things of God, who don't get it, who don't understand why you would sell everything to buy this field because they don't understand the treasure that's there. And then there's another group. There's another group that understands treasure. They understand eternal life. They understand the blessedness of having a relationship with God. They understand treasure. In fact, they're buyers and sellers of it. That's what they do. They engage in religious practices and services. They're all about obtaining the kingdom of God. That's what motivates them. Like many religious people today. Buddhists, Islamists, nominal Christians, people who are in non-believing churches, who are gathered and hearing messages, offering sacrifices, bringing tithes, bringing offerings, and yet have never truly yielded to the claims of Jesus Christ. And are unwilling to give it up. Unwilling to turn their back on their religious upbringing. Unwilling to say that it's useless, it's dumb. But they hold on to the fact, I was baptized as an infant, That's got to be good enough. I go to church. That's got to be good enough. Or, I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in a higher power. That's good enough. Certainly, God would accept everyone, wouldn't they? Don't all roads lead to Rome? If it were true, why would Paul quit being a Jew? If everyone's going to be saved... Why would he turn his back on his religious upbringing? Jesus, excuse me, Paul denounced all that he previously held dear when he came to understand who Jesus was and his need of Jesus Christ. And he moved in his thinking from one who was blameless to, in the book of Timothy, Paul is the chief of sinners. 
Give up your self-righteousness. Give up your personal holiness. Don't say to yourself, I'm good enough to go to heaven. Don't say, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so over here. Sell it. Get rid of it. Change pride, other religions, anything else in order to gain Jesus Christ. In order to put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. It's worth it. Because it is the only way to eternal life. Today, we have the matchless value of being a part of the kingdom. The true kingdom. Anything that would be holding you back, no matter how precious, no matter how dear it is to you, Anything that would be holding you back from making commitment to Jesus Christ isn't worth it. Jesus said, houses, lands, even family members. If someone doesn't come to Christ because it might upset their mother, it might upset their father, anybody who's unwilling to be baptized because my parents baptized me as a child and they might not understand or appreciate it. Sell it! Get rid of it. Anything that would keep you from following Jesus Christ is not worth it. A job? An opportunity? Sell it. Get rid of it. You're concerned about what people are going to think, what people are going to say, how people are going to respond to you? Get rid of it. Sell it. It doesn't matter. Jesus is teaching his disciples that other people will look at you and think you are crazy for what you are giving up in order to serve me. Understand, it's worth it. It's worth it. And so I say to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, don't let other people dissuade you. Don't get discouraged. Don't let the world's voice echo in your ears. Keep reminding yourself it is worth it. And let me say to you this morning, if you never placed your personal faith in Jesus Christ, then by all means, for whatever reason that has held you back, I don't know what it is, holding on to your own goodness, holding on to other religious beliefs, I don't know what it is. Whatever would keep you from Jesus Christ this morning, all I say is, without knowing what it is, I know it's not worth it. 
Give yourself to Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the glories of the kingdom. Lord, I I pray for any who are here this morning who, though I believe most here have heard the gospel many, many times, and most here know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. But I pray, if there's one person here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day in which they finally get rid of that last reason for hesitancy. Having found the pearl of great price, will give up all personal righteousness and trust and other belief systems in order to trust in Jesus Christ. I offer you this morning the kingdom of God, the opportunity to be born again, to be saved, to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to have eternal life. I would simply ask this morning, if there is anyone here this morning that that would like to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, would you just quickly raise your hand high enough for me to see it so that I can acknowledge it. I'm not asking you to come forward or anything, but would you raise your hand so I could see it? Keep it up there until I am able to scan everybody. Any, anyone at all? Our Father, help us to understand the value and worth of the kingdom. May we never second guess our commitments to you. May we never wonder, is it really worth our giving of tithes and offering? Is it really worth our giving of all these times, of all these energies? Is it really worth it? Oh, Lord, may we with one heart and one mind, with joy, be able to say, oh, yes, oh, yes, it is worth it. We thank you and praise you for the opportunity. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.